Well, I want, to <clears throat> I want to continue this morning to discuss the momentum that we're all experiencing. And, um, you know, I guess if we all do have a bit of a, a cold or something or whatever it is, maybe you feel like that momentum is lost. But, but these things are going to happen. And today is, is part of a um, really a long tradition uh, with, with West Ark where we, we celebrate the young people coming up. So, um, I got to do it again. Okay, get ready, guys. Where's my wagey people? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. I'm going a little power mad on that. That's, um, I love that. So, keep the rest of you awake, you know. They, uh, I want to talk about how this, what we're doing today, ties in with the faith that has been proclaimed throughout the ages. And even though it comes in different forms, what we're doing here today is actually what the church has done since the beginning, even before uh, Jesus came and established the church. It's what the people of God have done for generations. The text that I want to share with you this morning is one that is uh, very encouraging to me, and I'm glad that I, I, I located this. Uh, you will find it in 1 John chapter 2. Here the elder John, uh, he's the elder apostle, probably the last one of the twelve that's left. He's writing in his letter to encourage young Christians of all ages, but young Christians, some of, some of whom feel beat up and feel cast out. And he writes this to them and he says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. And I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Before we get to 1 John, I want to go back just a second. I want to talk about what we're doing here. It was in 2008 that the leaders of West Ark got together and, and were asking themselves the question, you know, we do so many things and we have this mission statement to make disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others, but where does that mission statement meet the ground? What's the rubber that meets the road? Where do we actually apply this and how does that happen? And in this prayerful discussion that went on that day, four words emerge that you'll hear us talk about. It's probably on your newsletter. Campus, kids, healing, and hope. Now, we didn't know how to flesh out each and every one of those, but we knew that in general, those were four directions of this, of this missional statement to make disciples. If you want to think of it, you can say that 
if, if making disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others is our vision statement or our mission statement, then those four words are the focus words. That's how we focus in on that vision. You know, you, you got to have that. Because right now, I've got vision. But like the man said in uh, Mark 8 when Jesus touched him the first time, he says, what do you see? I see people and they look like trees walking around. I don't know about trees, but, uh, you know, I can, I can pretty much make out who some of you are. But when I put these on, it focuses. And now I can see your beautiful faces. I can see you. I can read what's before me. So that campus and kids and healing and hope helps us to focus that general idea to make disciples. We want to make disciples on the college campus. We want to make disciples through efforts to bring healing and to bring hope. And now we've actually got ministries that have come about later since that time that have focused that. But we certainly want to make disciples of our kids. And that's why we do this. And I don't think it's a given. We should never take it for granted that making disciples of our kids, well, that's just the sort of thing that we do. Not at all. I want to say to all of the kids here, when you make your decision to follow Jesus, we celebrate with you. We celebrate with you and we affirm that because that is the decision that you make. We can guide you in it. We can encourage you in it. But it's the decision that you make. And it's a simple decision to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. And sometimes, even though you've made that decision to be his disciple, you may find it hard to stay on the path. Well, that again is where we bring the healing and the hope in. And that's where this becomes your cloud of witnesses that encourages you. Teaching the kids is what God's people have always been charged to do. You see it with Moses. You see it with Jesus. You see it with Paul. They describe it in different ways. Ages and generations and the, the age of adolescence and childhood, it changes throughout history and around the world. But there's always this idea of the older ones teaching the younger ones. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses says it to the people. He said, you're going to teach these things. God tells Moses, you tell them to teach my commandments. Why? So that you'll live in deep reverence before God, lifelong observing all of his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, your children and your grandchildren living good, long lives. Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that, that being a disciple is not just adult business and we need to keep those kids out of the way. Not at all. Luke 8, 15, among other places, Jesus says, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. One of the wonderful things about this congregation is we have always upheld the importance of having the children come to Jesus. That's a calling here. And it's, it's rooted in our DNA. And we want to continue to do that. It's not just for the children. It involves the children, but it's really about all of us. Because then those children grow up and then they have children and then those children grow up and they have children and it's a chain of discipleship and maturity in Christ Paul says it to Titus and Paul himself is mentoring Titus there's the older one with the younger one and he's saying to Titus you need to be teaching people and you need to be teaching their older ones to teach the younger ones 
And you go through Titus 2, 1 through 12, and you, you might think, oh, wait, is this, is this all about elders and deacons and all of that? Well, yes, but it's about more than that. It's about what it looks like to be mature in the faith and to pass that on to others. And finally, he sums it up, and he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. Now, church, this is our situation that we find ourselves in. It's a situation that God's people have always found themselves in. Teaching people to live godly lives and teaching them to reject the poisonous, destructive, unhealthy philosophies of the world and the cultures around us. Now, it's easy to just get antagonistic and to go out and knock down everything that we don't like. It's much more challenging, but much more rewarding to propose a better way that is God's way and to say anything that doesn't align with that isn't worth wasting your time on. That you need to be following God at all ages. Whether you're a child, whether you're very mature, whether you're anything in between. <clears throat> I'm not sure if parenting is more difficult now than it ever has been. Because I got this problem. I remember what parenting was like when I was in the thick of it, okay? I kind of remember what parenting was like when I was a child. Uh, and, and usually it was the kind of thing that I was just sort of, you know, working around and listening to, Okay? But I was blessed in that area, and uh, I had a lot of support, had a lot of encouragement. Then I became a parent, apologized to a lot of people for the way I behaved, and then did my best to be a good parent, realizing that it's not about me, it's about my obligation to these young people. Now, I don't know if it's more difficult now for parents. It might just be that I've gotten older. And as an older person, I'm, I understand how much more harmful the ugly things in the world can be. We're certainly a different world now than we ever have been. And let me go ahead and address this and get this out of the way. Because it's always the church's calling to be the community of God, to be light in a world of darkness. But we can get caught up in that struggle and become darkness ourselves fighting the darkness. We can lose our first love and get so cranked up about opposing what's wrong that we become just as dark as that which we oppose. You've got to be careful about that. I mean, I can remember battles that we have fought that we didn't have any business getting into. I can remember a world where, you know, the greatest sin was dancing and we needed the champion of justice, Kevin Bacon, to set the captives free with Dance and Boogie. That movie was horrible. I didn't even like it back in the day. And if you like that movie, I'll pray for you. Um, but I don't think that was ever really the world. And, and, and certainly, there's concerns that when you look back, you think some of it's ridiculous. In the 1950s, 
Uh, Dr. Simon Wortham, a psychiatrist, said that comic books were leading to juvenile delinquency. <laughs> comic books have always been trash, okay? That's how they make money. But I do recall in, in, in my younger days when drugs were considered cool and it was okay. And I mean, you, you go back and you look at some of the material that time and it was talked about like it was just all right. And all those people who were telling you not to get involved in drugs, they were just a bunch of J. Edgar Hoover FBI narcs, you know. We know better than them. And then people started dying. And suddenly the tune changed. Yeah, you can look back and you can see all the mistakes and you can see all the victories. And I don't know that any of that helps us because here we are today. With all due respect to fine politicians who have good intentions, you are not going to vote solutions into office. You should vote and vote well. I encourage you to do that. But that alone does not absolve us of our responsibility to instruct young people in a better way. That's, salvation comes from God, and we have to be living examples of how his salvation is working in our lives. Parents, you will always have the most influence on your children, more so than anybody else. I'm going to tell you that. Rick's going to tell you that. The elders here are going to tell you that. We want to equip you. Now, it's okay for you to come to us and say, some days I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, welcome to the club. There's no judgment. But you have a cloud of witnesses to support you. And I believe that we can all do what you see on the screen here in these verses. So, maybe I'm just older and I didn't notice it before, but it does seem like divisiveness and anxiety has ratcheted up like never before. And I think that's because sometimes the people of light fail to appreciate the resources that we have. The resources of the gospel, of the good news, of hope. And sometimes I need you, the young people, I need you to remind me that things are going to be okay. And sometimes you need me, and you need others like me, to help you. So let's stick together. In First John, he names three groups, three different ages. The children, the little children, the mature, the, the fathers, the parents, the old ones, and the young ones. And they're kind of whatever is in between, right? And to each one of them, he says, I'm writing to you. So this message is for you if you're a child. This message is for you if you're a parent or an old one. This message is for you if you're anything in between. I love that. Because the elder apostle is saying, there's a word for everyone. There's a place for everyone in the kingdom. To the children, he's saying, you know that Jesus forgives and you know the Father. You know what we're doing in those kid men classes? We're teaching about God. We're teaching about Jesus. We may be introducing them to that. They may not have all of the understanding down, but we want to introduce them to their creator and their savior. And we need you to help us in there. Maybe you've got some ideas on that. Maybe you just need to tell your stories. It's, it's, it's more than curriculum. We need living curriculum in there. We need people like you who build these relationships and talk about how you know the Father, how you know that Jesus forgives. Then, in kind of a strange twist, and we'll get to this in a second, instead of going up the ladder, he jumps from one end straight to the other. 
says, I write to you children, and then he goes, I write to you parents. And what he says looks the same, but it carries a different weight. He says, because you know Christ, you have known him from the beginning. He's appealing to people who've had a long walk with the Savior. I remember it. Oh, one time at Lake Jackson, I thought I'd make a great point. I'm a young preacher, you know. I, 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 had, you know, I had no business uh, saying half the stuff I said. And um, we were in a class, and there was a good, there was a wise man there who I respected. His name's Howard. And I said, you know, I said, let's tell the young people, I mean, isn't it just as difficult to follow Jesus when you're old as when you're young? And Howard goes, no. He goes, it's easier now. I said, really? He goes, Yes, he goes, because I've made friends with my Savior. Oh, that was powerful. That was powerful. And he wasn't putting down the young. He was saying the temptations are greater. He was saying that the temptations are stronger. That, that you know, you're, you're, you're young, you're inexperienced. And he wasn't shaming anyone. He was saying it's going to be difficult. And I think that's why John brings in the young people. Not the children, not the mature, but the people who are there in between because they have overcome the evil one. That illustrated that to me. I am, if, if things have changed and if I've just gotten older, then I want you to know this. To those of you who are younger than me, I want to be in your corner. I want to be encouraging you to fight the fights. Resist the evil one. Overcome it. Don't think you have to give in. If there are changes that you need to make, then you make those changes. If there's things that you want to do better, then don't give in to the things that you know are not worth your time. Whatever it is, a temptation, a sin, a distraction. Be strong in the Word. Let the Word live in your heart. There's the struggle. And it's worth it. And I think that John is saying we are all in this relationship connection together. And here's the so what. Here's how it works. And you see that little icon in the corner? I've seen some of you. I've noticed you, you'll take a snapshot of these slides. All right, take your snapshot. Go ahead. Get your phone out. Take a snapshot of this one. This is your homework. Take this one with you. Because I want you to spend some time praying and thinking about that this week. I've rearranged the order so that they go up the ladder. The children, the young, the mature. The little ones, the ones in between, and the old ones. First of all, I want you to figure out who you are in your spiritual walk. Do you feel like you're just getting started? Are you a child in the faith? Regardless of your own age, but do you feel like you're just getting started? Good. There's no shame in that. John says he wrote to the little children because they knew the name of the Father. They knew something. You embrace that. You hang in there wherever you're at in your spiritual walk. If you're in the, you know, one of the young and the struggles are getting, it's getting, that's when the devil turns on the heat. Okay? And he really starts challenging you. Because he wants you out of the game. Hang in there. 
you've been around for a while and you've got a good relationship with God and you think, well, I don't know. I mean, what is there for me? You hang in there because you've got something to offer the rest of us. If you're among the young, if you've been at this for a while, you find yourself up against the challenges with the evil one. You see, that's the other thing too. Sometimes what we miss in church is when we're struggling, we think that we're doing no good. When you're struggling, you're in the fight. You know, it's like when they asked the boxer, they said, how is it in there fighting in the ring? He goes, it's okay, but that other guy keeps hitting me. You are in a struggle. Rejoice in that. Find strength in that. And then get in there and, and go to the mature ones. They'll help you. Every Rocky needs a Mickey. Get in there, you bum, you know. That's your other homework. If you haven't seen Rocky, best picture, 1976, you need to go watch it. Figure out who you are in your relationship, and just remember, Mickey loves you, okay? Find out who you are in your relationship, and you help out there. See, each and every one of you here, you know, maybe we think of y'all as the young ones. I'm talking to my wagey people now. But to the kid men people, you're the mature ones. And some of them who are coming into the seventh grade have noted that some of you are their heroes. Thanks be to God. Some of you who consider yourself the young ones, the young adults, you're thinking, oh, I'm just getting started at this. I mean, you've, you've come out of high school and now here you are in your 20s and 30s and you just realize, I don't know nothing. Good. That's the beginning of wisdom. But I want you to know that to these ones in Wagey, you are the mature. And some of you are here and you're thinking, well, I'm just old. I'm just old and society tells me that old is no good and there's nothing to do other than to go gather moss and then just kind of lean over and croak. All right. First of all, some of you think you're old and you're not. Uh, when some of us in our 50s, 60s, and 70s start complaining about being old, best thing to do is to find someone in their 90s and make them your friend. That's where you might start thinking that somebody's old. You need to get familiar with some of the people in your cloud of witnesses. The stories of people who did things in their old age. You need to get to know. This is why in the way G, Rick loves for people in their 80s. Have we had a 90-year-old going on any of these mission trips yet? 82, Louis Mendez went to Dominican Republic. We need him there. Somebody said, well, he's a bit too old for youth group, isn't he? <laughs> if you think it's just for youth, we need him there. We need you there in all kinds of ways. Now, that means that somebody out there in their 90s, you're going to be a first. You're going to set a record by going on some trip or doing something with the youth. But I can tell you I've seen the wonderment and the joy of this and the importance of it. But I want you to figure out what the Father and Jesus Christ can do in your life to edify the church at any age. This is why I mentioned David Chadwell's book on the two great commissions. I mentioned this on social media. I'll mention it here. It's one of my favorite books that you've written, David, because 
you, you help me understand that in addition to evangelism, there's also edification. That the, that the commission to make disciples is to baptize, you might think of that as evangelism, and to edify, to build up or to teach the church. Both of those are important. Otherwise, we're just making disciples and we're not letting them mature. We're not putting them on this path of maturity. So, you think about this this week and pray about this. How is it that the Father and Jesus Christ want you to edify the church? I am confident that this church family can stand against the spirits of the age that say young and old have nothing to do with each other. They're two different groups. They don't have anything in common. Um, it's just all going downhill. Everything is deteriorating. And you know what? I, I, I don't know how much more to characterize this. Do you understand where I'm coming from, that spirit of the age? I want you to start to hear it like me after a while where it starts to sound like wine, 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 wine. And there is no way to modulate the human voice so that whining is acceptable. It is much better that we have a word of good news. It is much better that we have a word of correction. It is much better that we cast a vision of a better way. Following God. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of our children. And then let's get the big vision for the sake of our grandchildren. Do you know that each and every one of us is here because faithful people before us were paving the way for us before we even came into this world? And we get to do the same. We need to have a 100-year vision, a 200-year vision. The elder apostle addresses all ages and calls them to a unity, a growth, and a way of being a disciple at every age. Throughout the ages, the family of God has come to the supper table. This morning as we go around the supper table, a father and son will lead us around that supper table. It's one of our seventh graders. He's going to lead us, and his father is going to assist him. And I hope that is kind of a symbol of how we share the deeper faith about Jesus Christ in this moment. And then we'll conclude today by seeing the real illustration and example of these things that we've been preaching in our welcome for the seventh graders. Let's stand. Let's sing together and go to the Lord's Supper table.